I come from the Tata family. Maybe some of you guys come from a family like this. I did not come from a church family. Uh, Sunday mornings in our family were going out to brunch and uh, not so much for going to church. And so I, uh, we just didn't have much of a church background. I think my family on my mom's side had, I think we had a kind of a respect for religion in terms of the traditional sense. My mom's side of the family is Greek. I don't know if you've ever seen this old, old movie. Yeah. Well, okay, so it's old, old now to them, but I can't believe I'm saying this. This old movie called My Big Fat Greek yeah. Wedding. Yeah. You've seen it. If you've seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you have met My Big Fat Greek Family, okay? I'm not even kidding. I went to see the movie with My Big Fat Greek Family. We walked out, and my aunt said, it's like watching home movies, you know? And, and so there was a little bit of time when I was growing up because my grandparents were in a Greek Orthodox church but my mom did not raise us in church, but every once in a while, grandma would get edgy that we hadn't been. So mom would dress us up, take us to church. Most of the service was in Greek. My family, my, my generation did not learn Greek. The only Greek we ever heard, were that was when grandma and grandpa were fighting, and those were not words you're going to hear in church. You know what I'm saying? So as soon as the Greek started flying, all the kids started flying because, right, get out of the way, there's something going on. All I knew about going to church, true story, so if you would go through, and I, I don't mean this in any way negatively for those who are faithful in that, but no one ever explained to us what it was. I just knew that middle of the service, if we were loud, grandma would pass out mints. At the end, you got bread. And then you went to lunch. That's what church was to me. It's just food. I mean, I, I, I'm like, okay, well, sign me up for that. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. But there was never any real understanding of who and what God is and was in our lives. So I go into high school. I grew up, I'm in high school, four years of high school. I don't remember meeting one Christian. If anybody in my high school knew Jesus, nobody was talking about him. So I graduate from high school. I have no real knowledge of who this God is or what all this means. I just, you know, I know there's a little bit of something about church and Christianity somewhere in our nation. And, but I leave my campus. I step off my university campus or off my high school campus onto my university campus. And I tell people all the time that God was the farthest thing from my mind. Yeah. I love to tell people, though, that I was not the farthest thing from his. Yeah. I stepped onto my campus. In fact, let me tell you this, true story. Before I ever stepped foot onto campus, someone from Chi Alpha was praying for me. The RA in my hall, my freshman hall, a guy named Dennis, he was the RA. He was a part of Chi Alpha. And before we ever got on campus, literally before day one, he had gone through our little section in the hall and he had prayed over every one of us. He prayed over our rooms. He prayed over our beds. He prayed over our desks. He literally, now this was back in the day, back when, in, in, like you guys now to get a roommate, I think you go online and maybe find somebody like that. We used to chisel it out on a tablet, you know what I mean? When it was like, what, what, what are you, are you messy or are you neat? I am neat, you know what I mean? And, and so, so, so we had these cards we had to fill out about kind of our preferences. And then Dennis told us later, he literally took all the cards and he laid his hands on them and said, Jesus Help me know who to put together as roommates. Now, the cool thing about this is my, my freshman year roommate was a gal named Sandy. She had been raised in the church a little bit in her, her life, but was not walking with God at all. And we just kind of, I'll be honest, we, we became kind of party buddies. I won't go into all the crazy details, but it was just a little bit, a little bit crazy uh, in our hall. And the same time, we had four people, my, my RA and three other people, who were like deeply committed Christians. I had never seen that in my life. I was like, I don't understand. 
you're really religious, but I like you. You know, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I could not put it together. And, and here's the thing is, little by little, people in our hall started having kind of an awakening to faith and started becoming Christians. Now, in our, in our larger hall, there were 21 of us in our section, started with four Christians, and little by little, people started, quote unquote, getting religion. That's what we called it. In fact, there were two things you could get in our dorm. You could either get religion or chicken pox. True story. It, both of them were spreading that year, right? So I come home one Sunday afternoon. I come home, and I, I, I wanted to tell my roommate about a guy I met. And I come home and I say, I got something to tell you. And she says, I have something to tell you too. And I said, Will you go first? She said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ today. That was not what I was going to say. <laughs> that was not what I was going to say. I'm going with that conversation. And I remember the very first question. I, I'm like, I never heard those words in my life. Very first question, I was like, Will you still party with me? Right? So here she is. She's about three hours old in her faith, having to come to terms with her new convictions about getting drunk. And she's like, I shouldn't be drunk anymore. So she said, Jesus is in the driver's seat of my life. And I'm like, Jesus is in the what? You know? I, I met, she had this little red Honda. And I imagine the, the picture I had of Jesus was Jesus driving her little red Honda and his hair flowing in the wind. You know what I mean? I don't know why. That was, that was the only image I had. And I remember she was like, I'm not going to get drunk anymore. And I was like, blast. You know, I, I, I led her right into, you know, abstinence from alcohol and all the things and all. I, and I, I was so confused. And next thing I know, I'd come home and there'd be a Bible open on her bed. And I'd be like, what's that doing there? You know? <laughs> what I didn't know is that Sandy was going. She immediately got connected in Chi Alpha because our RA was part of Chi Alpha. And he had been praying for us. She immediately got connected into Chi Alpha. And before I knew it, Chi Alpha was after me. <laughs> Some of you have that look like that's been you. <laughs> Sandy would go to a lot of the Chi Alpha meetings and she would just tell them, guys, you know, whenever there's you know, like prayer requests, guys, we need to pray for Stephanie. Stephanie needs to meet Jesus. Yeah. Next thing I know, everywhere I look, it seems like I'm running into Chi Alpha. You know, I would go, I, my, 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 from my, my residence hall to my class, I'd have to like go through, uh, I'd have to go through the student union. Some of you, I think Ryan, you saw the picture of that, the McCaffrey Center, someone would go, and I, the campus pastor at the time was this guy named Sean Smith, and he was, Sean, I think Sean smiles in his sleep, and he's just one of those guys who just, he's so genuinely nice, and I would see him, and he'd put his arm around me, and say, step up, we love you, come to Chi Alpha, and I had come up with every reason in the world not to go. You know what I mean? I was like, I gotta, I gotta wash my cat. You know, and, and I gotta buy a cat so I can wash him so I don't have to go to cut, you know, and, and, I, and I, so I would start going the long way around the, the union so I could stay away from all those nice people and then I'd run into another one of them. Then I'd find, find one of them in my class, in my class, I was like, they're everywhere, you know. But the Kyoto students just kept loving me. Yeah. They just kept showing me Jesus, yeah. and they just kept praying. Yeah. Took them about three years. We use the language here. In fact, I've seen it. I saw it. I think Ryan's shirt maybe yesterday. Fine feet fight. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> Where have I seen that? <laughs> before we knew, before we ever had the language of fine, is it which fine feet fight? I know there's some people who disagree on what comes first. You know. Before we ever had the language, yeah. the Kyapa students on my campus were living this yeah. out. Yeah. And for three years, they loved me, they showed me the life of Jesus, and they prayed for me. Three yeah. years, because I'm hard-headed. <laughs> Took them three years to keep loving me. Beginning of my senior year of college, 
I ended up getting a, a job in the student government that I don't think I was qualified for. But it ended up giving me a staff advisor who she and her husband ended up being best friends with my first RA. Tell me God didn't set me up. And one night on a Sunday night, it was a, we had our, our Kyapa group was, was deeply connected to our local church as well. It was a Sunday night. I was sitting in the back next to my, my new advisor and new friend. And a guy named Donnie was preaching, and, and uh, he said, he said, anybody want to come give their life to Christ? And I, I'm sitting there, and my, my friend turns to me, and she says, I mean, I'm just fighting it back there. She turned to me, she said, are you ready? And somewhere, I, guys, I, I'm, not, I'm from a non-Christian background, so what I'm about to say, I didn't have a, I didn't have a framework for this, yeah. but somewhere I heard God speak to me. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't have a theology for God talking. I didn't know he could talk. But somehow deep in my heart, I heard God say to me, Stephanie, I want all of you. I don't want 90%. I don't want 99. I want all of you. And I, I wish I had time to tell you all the, the stories. I, I just, here's what I would have to say is, um, I, I didn't know what that meant, that he wanted all of me. Yeah. But I did learn later how reasonable it was for him to ask me for all of me because yeah. he didn't give me only part of him. Yeah. He wasn't like, oh, Stephanie, I'm going to give you 90% of myself, so I'll take 90% of you. He gave him his whole self to me. Yeah. And so because he had done that, I could say, yes, God, you can have all of me. Yeah. Now, how many of you know when you say, God, I'll give you all of me, we don't even know what we're saying? <laughs> Some of you are like, that's the truth. <laughs> I, I just didn't know. I didn't know what it meant giving all of me to yeah. Jesus. And that has been part of the discipleship of my life. Yeah. What does it mean to give all of me to him? Yeah. In that process, over the next several months, I started to feel a little bit of a shift in my soul. I was, I was um, in process of applying to law school. At the time, and um, I had done. I, this was back in the '80s. There was an old show called LA Law. I'm from Los Angeles. It was like everything in my world just like right, right there. You know, I was like, I'm LA Law. You know, and and and, uh, and I. But I, I started to feel the shift. Something's going on in, in my heart, and I remember just kind of praying about it over time. And I remember it coming to a point where I would say, Jesus, I want to do whatever you want me to do with, with my life, but just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll give up law school. If that's what I'm feeling, if, yeah. if you want me to give up law school, tell me what you want me to do and I'll give up law school. And the Lord said, Stephanie, then here's how we're going to do it. I want you to give up law school and then I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. A little part of me wanted to say, Lord, did you pray about that? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that to the Lord. Friends, we're talking tonight about dying to our future. When Scroggins told me that you guys are in a series, y'all are in a series about uh, about dying to yourself, I think I got that right. I was like, dude, you guys are not holding back. You're going for Jesus. And that may be, I, I don't know everybody in the room. I know about a tenth of the room. This may be all new stuff for you. You may be like, I have that look on my face that you used to have back in the day. And, and so this may be new and, and follow along with us. Uh, you'll see where we're going with this, but... For me, friends, uh, giving up law school is one thing, but, but the Lord said, give up law school, and then I'll tell you what I want you to do. And really, only the Lord could get away with that. You know? I, I mean, that, yeah. but, but to give up law school for me was something. For me to say, Jesus, I'll follow you, and to feel the Lord kind of nudge me. If, if that language is a little bit unusual for you, and say, God spoke. No, I didn't hear an audible voice. It's just 
sometimes when God speaks to me, it's like all of a sudden I just know what I didn't know before. Does that make sense? It's just like, oh, I get it now. I didn't know that a minute ago, but now I seem to know it. And that was one of those things for me. I felt like the Lord was just nudging me saying, I want you to take a step of faith. It was almost like the trapeze artist where you, you know, you're holding on, but in order to get the other one, you got to let go of the first one. I don't like that. Is that okay for me to say? I want to hold on to what is secure. I'm a planner. Like, I'm, I'm learning. Like, Scroggins and I are friends. I'm learning. He's not as much of a planner. He's, he's way more peaceful in his life than I am. You know what I mean? I am a planner. If you're into the Enneagram, I'm a six. I need safety. I mean, you know, all the things, right? I like what is safe and secure. I like what is planned. And here I am at that moment, not knowing what the future was going to hold. But I knew God had something in mind for my life. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, friends, I had to die to my idea of what my future would be. And the question I had is, will I trust God with my future? Again, for me, this this is not about a lack of planning. Don't go home and tell your parents. The lady said, I don't have to do anything for my future. Please do not do that. But the question really is an issue of the heart. Am I going to trust God with my future? I think it's interesting. I so appreciate seeing longtime friends, Kelly and Paul. Oh, my goodness. I, I didn't know until I got here that we would be here together. Man, we've known each other for a long, long time. I also think it's very interesting that they're here to talk about what God may be asking for your future in the marketplace or on the mission field. I'm like, Lord, you might put that together. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So here I am at that moment about to graduate from college. I had no idea what the future held. Um, and I, and I, as I, I, I said, mentioned this to someone today. Sometimes our dreams and for our lives, for, and in God's dreams for our lives, sometimes they walk side by side. But there are times when we have to realize that one of those dreams is going to have to go first. It's almost like the path narrows and there's not enough room for both, you know. And, and so we got to ask, which one's going to go? Am I going to try to lead the path with my dreams for my future? Or am I going to let God's dreams for my future lead the way? Will I trust the one who holds my future? And this reminds me, and we're going to talk very briefly, briefly about one of the fathers of our faith in, in the book of Genesis man that a lot of us know is Abraham at this time that we're going to read about him. His, uh, his name was Abram at the time. And Abram is living with his extended family in, uh, in, in, a, in a culture that was extremely ungodly. In fact, they would worship pagan gods and stuff. And somewhere in that process, God had called them to leave their home and settle in what we would one day know as the, as the promised land. Um, they didn't make it to the promised land when they first left home. They settled somewhere else. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 12, uh, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through five verses. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So God says to Abram, Abram, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. In other words, leave what is home. Leave what may be comfortable, leave what may be familiar, 
and go to the land I will show you. God didn't really give the destination there in that equation, did he? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to go back and, and repeat what I said earlier. That's not the part I like. You know, I want you to leave what is familiar and comfortable. I want you to leave what you call home and go to the land I will show you. How about you show me now? You know what I'm saying? Is that, is that okay? And go to the land I will show you. Very little clarity in the destination. I step on once the details. But, friends, there is an element of dying to what is known and comfortable to follow God into the future. There really is. So what does it mean to die to our future? And what does it mean to trust the whole, the one who holds our future? I want to look at four things here briefly tonight. Yeah. I, I kind of view it like maybe points of a square. Or if you're into baseball, think about we're going to run the bases here. We're going to start home and run the bases. Go Cubs, I see it right there. All right. <laughs> I want you to view what we're going to talk about through four things. Direction, timing, attachments, and purpose. Let's talk about directions for a minute. How many of you want to know the will of God? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that because anybody didn't raise their hand. I mean, you know what I mean? That's their, well, I didn't raise my hand, so they're going to think I don't want the will of God. I, but I would say in all my years of working in Chi Alpha with university students, this is one of the things I hear the most. How do I know the will of God? And people ask this about their major. They ask it about potential marriage. In fact, I remember when I, I was in a uh, archive group that I was working in in California. I, I'm sure this has never happened here, but I had you know every once in a while someone would come to me and say, "I really feel like the Lord put this person on my heart for marriage." Now that sometimes they weren't dating or anything like that. There was one particular week when three young women came to me to tell me the Lord had put a certain young man on their heart for marriage. And I was like, by the third person, I was like, the Lord is working overtime this week. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean because that's sometimes that's a genuine question. You're like, I feel a sense of, of attraction to this person. I, I think maybe that, that there could be something. Is this the will of God? Sometimes it's a major. Sometimes it's marriage. Sometimes it's, are you calling me into the ministry or into the marketplace? I think, friends, we want to do the will of God. And in fact, I've heard many people say over time, I'm afraid that I will miss the will of God. But I wonder if we aren't asking the right question. I think the what is the will of God for my life is better stated in what is the direction of my heart right now. Here's where we're going to go. Here's what I mean with this. God is more concerned with the direction of your heart than he is with the direction of your feet. If he has your heart, he'll get your feet where they need to be. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing. If he has your feet, but not your heart, then that's just like a, that's just a, I'm just going to obey and I'm I'm not going to like it. You know what I mean? God can, you like, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to be grumpy about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if he has your heart, he's going to get your feet where your feet need to be. Yeah. Yeah. If it's in the marketplace, he's going to get your feet. I mean, I, I remember hearing one young woman going in, uh, in fact, using her degree to go to the nation. She was a nurse, and she held up her stethoscope and said, this is my passport. God can get your feet where he wants them, but he wants your heart. If he has your heart, he'll also have your feet and he'll get you where you want to go. God told Abram to go to the land, I will show you. He told Stepha, give up law school and I will show you. 
it, this, the question again is my dream versus God's dream. And I remember one of the guys I worked with in Kyopa years ago when he was getting ready to graduate from high school and, and going to college. He was uh, planning on one particular college, and one night he was just he was having a hard time sleeping. And it was one of those things, if you've ever heard this example, he was wrestling with God. Because he was planning, he was applying to this one, one uh Jesse Law School, I meant university. And he, he was like, oh, I'm going to go to that school. And, and But he just, one night, he just couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep. And he felt like the Lord's, you know, just again said to him, not audibly, but kind of the nudge, you never asked me where I might want you to go to school. And he said he wrestled and he wrestled and he wrestled over the course of the night. Now, nobody freak out if you're, I didn't ask God and here I am a San Angelo. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I mean don't, don't take it that way. But he, he had specifically, the Lord was trying to get at something because the Lord yeah. wanted his heart. Yeah. So the Lord could get his feet where he needed to be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. God got his heart. He actually did end up making a change, and it was a beautiful change. And he, he looks back now, and like in the rearview mirror, things just look like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. But he had to wrestle with God. God had to get his heart. One commentator, when I was reading through and doing a little bit of study on this passage, said about Abram, all he had was the right sense of direction. All he had was the right sense of direction. So the question for us is, what is the direction, uh, as my spiritual father would say, is the arrow of my heart pointed toward Christ? Is the arrow of my heart, what direction is the arrow of my heart pointed and as a wise woman that we, a lot of us know here, my friend Alicia Britt-Scholey said, God is looking for a generation that is less concerned with where they are going than whom they are following. Yeah. Let me say that again. God is looking for a generation that is less concerned with where they are going than whom they are following. Yeah, we follow the one we need to follow. He'll get us where we need to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's direction. Yeah. Number two is timing. So interesting living in our world today with, you know, we, we, have, we have a window literally into the world in our phones through social media and stuff. And hear me, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's like, I hate social media. I actually really like my Instagram account and I use it, you know what I'm saying? Some people hate it and that's fine if you do. I, but I'm saying we, we look at these things and what we see for a moment of someone's life is just a moment. And as one person said, we, we tend to compare our beginnings with their endings so we think our beginnings need to be where their endings are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They have some kind of success. They have some kind of whatever. And we're like, how come I'm not like that? Yeah. You know, how come what's, you know. It, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul talks about in Romans, he says, do not be conformed to the world, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of times people use that to address behavior. But I also really, again, think this is a heart thing because, you know, do not be conformed to the world. Don't, you know, don't do all the things you shouldn't do. But instead, how about let's be renewed in our mind about who God is, who I am, and where God wants me in my life. Maybe this is more than just about behavior, but this is also about our hearts and minds here. Because here's the thing. We are surrounded by messages and curated examples of success. Uh, We see it all the time. Again, as I said, we see it all the time. You hear about someone who, quote-unquote, is successful, and we have no idea what it took them to get there. And we honestly, here's the thing, we don't know if their character can sustain the success they have. You know what I'm saying? I I hate it. In in, in kind of our line of work in in ministry, it breaks my heart every time I hear of a, a man or woman of God, a minister of the gospel, who just kind of blows up and blows out. Yeah. And sometimes it's because, 
so it's, it's much more, it feels better to look really successful yeah. rather than letting God do the work in the, kind of in the underground part. Now here's a picture, I saw this. Um, um, do the next picture. I love this. I took this picture. It is a sunflower field in uh, just outside Grand Forks, North Dakota. I went by and I was like, that is stunning. I, it just, uh, But I learned something about these sunflowers I thought was so interesting because I, I think it, they're so beautiful. And they were right at the time where it's like peak and everything like that. What you see is these sunflowers at their best. You don't see the development it took to get there. You know, you know what I'm saying? You don't see the fact that at some point they were seeds buried in darkness. You don't see the fact that they, there was, you know, this somehow, it's, it's amazing how God is this struggle for it to grow and to, you know, break through the earth. And it's, you know, comes out and it's like, that's a tiny little thing. When, when, when it comes out from the earth, it doesn't look like that. It needs time to grow. It needs time to be nurtured. It needs nourishment in the midst of that. In fact, one of the things I, I found interesting, I learned this, is before the sunflowers, as they're growing, but before they bloom, they position themselves toward the sun because they need that nourishment. So in the mornings, they they somehow they they lean toward the yeah. east, yeah. where where the sun is coming up, and then it follows over. And so by later in the day, it's got the sun, and then at night it goes back over because it needs it needs that nourishment. Now we don't get to see a lot of that in the same way. We just see the beauty of it. There's a lot that God wants to do in us in the places no one ever sees. And when we think about our future, what I get concerned about is all the people who think, okay, I'm, you know, 22 or 18 or 42 or whatever. I need to be farther along than I am. And if you try to do that, you'll never truly become who God made you to be. You won't have taken the time that you need to put your face toward the sun. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. You need to position yourself with your face to the sun in order to be able to bloom. So we have direction, we have timing. A third is attachments. God called Abram to leave what was known, his country, his people, his father's household. And friends, I think it's entirely too easy to get attached to the things that make us feel comfortable or valuable very easy to do. I When I was planning law school, um, there's part of me that I think I'm wired that way. I like to argue. <laughs> you know what I mean? But also there are parts of me that really liked the power of it and the money. Now, if you're in pre-law and you can do that with Jesus, do that with Jesus because heaven knows we need some good Christians in the legal system. You know what I'm saying? But for me, what I wanted, and especially even coming from some of the brokenness of my family, I, I, at some point, uh, for all the great things in my family, there was one thing that I just always, I was determined to do more than anything. Is I, was, I just wanted to make more money than my father. It was like this inner vow that I had, I'm going to make more money than him. So for me, what what... Rather than just saying, I feel like I, I would be good. I'd be a good service to the world as a lawyer. That's one thing. Another thing is, I want the power and I want the money and I want to make more money than dad. That became an attachment for me. It was like I was holding it on with a grip. And here's what I found, friends. Two things. One, the things that we hold on to, if we hold on to them 
tightly if we hold on to them. I'm not talking about holding on to the Lord. I'm talking about holding on to these unhealthy things. We hold on to them. Here's what I find. Somehow it changes the grip and they hold on to us. The other thing I've learned is that for me to be able to really give myself to God, here's here's the image I, I use. It's hard for me to lift my hands in worship and praise and surrender if I've got my hands clenched around the things I don't want to give up. It's like it's like this. God, I worship you, but don't open my fingers. I want to I want to worship God. I want to surrender to God. I want to praise God with my hands wide open because I'm not holding on to anything. I just want to give him myself. Abraham left what he knew because he understood that God's presence and his promise were more important. So we have direction, we have timing, we have attachment. You guys doing okay? I feel like we're deep. Everyone okay? Everyone feel? Be encouraged. Everyone smile. Okay, good. Excellent. Excellent. We have direction, we have timing, we have attachments. And the last thing is this, purpose. In fact, it's interesting today, we sang, you turned my weakness into purpose. We sang that today. Yeah. Y'all didn't know I had at this point <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my sermon tonight, did you? <laughs> Talking about purpose here. The Lord said to Abram, I will bless you to be a blessing. It was like God was saying, Abram, here's the deal. I love you. It's not about you. You know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you ever, I mean, really, have you ever felt like the Lord was just kind of like, I love you. It is not about you. You know? That's what he was saying. I love you. It's not about you. But I will bless generations after you. Yeah. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing for others. Now, hear me when I say that. Because that this act, hear, hear me when the Lord says that. Like, hear, hear the Lord when I say it. He said, I will bless you so you can be a blessing. It's not... I'm going to begrudgingly bless you. Yeah. You're a project. You know what I mean? You're a pawn in my grand chess game. You know, I'm going to bless you so you can also be a blessing. Yeah. You're not missing out on the blessing. You get to be a part of that, but God gets to bless people through you on that. Yeah. You are a vessel of my blessing. You get blessed and you get to bless. You know? And, and again, my, my, here's, here's my thing. I, I, I feel like the Lord's asking me to leave law school. I don't know what the future is. At the time, I was 22 years old. I'll be honest, it was, it was the second semester because I, I gave my life to Jesus first semester of my senior year. Um, during the second semester, I started to feel like something shifted. I will say that March and April of your senior year of college is not the best time to change your major. Not if you don't want to freak your parents out. Hello. You know what I'm saying? But I, I remember it was April 2nd when I called my dad. I was like, I know I'm not going to go to law school. April 2nd. You know what I mean? But I graduated in early May. He's like, are you crazy? I might be. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like the Lord is saying this. You know? And I remember it was April 2nd because it was my sister's birthday. My poor sister had to have that on her birthday. And, uh, but at 22 years old, I'm thinking I've got close to 50 years worth of, of kind of work life. In that, all I know is that God is asking me to take this step, and He gave me direction for one year. He said, "I want you to go back and be a hall director in on, on the on the hall." And so Ryan has Ryan has been there, my campus. I don't know if anybody else on my campus, University of the Pacific, in this little little university in the middle of California that almost no one's ever heard of, except that in addition to me, some folks named Eli and Mary Gautreaux. I don't know if you know them. Eli and Mary were students at, at my campus when I was there, so. I, um, God says, go back and be a hall director. 
And so I had one year that I knew yeah. that, that God wanted, what God wanted me to do there. I had not, we had a, a change in our campus pastors. A guy named Sean Smith had just left and a guy named Kurt Harlow came in. Uh, Kurt was the new campus pastor. Our whole group was kind of like, it just kind of a little bit shaken up. We're kind of starting over. Uh, we did not have a, a, a DTCs. I got that right, discipleship training class. We didn't have that, but I felt like I needed to just offer a small group in my residence hall. There were 70 students in my residence hall. Of the people who wrote out the cards or chiseled out on, on rock, 69 of the 70 did not proclaim any faith. And wow. so here I am. I had one young woman who proclaimed having some faith. She sounded to me like she had faith in Jesus but had not yet found life in Jesus. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There is a difference, right? She had faith in Jesus. She had not yet found life in Jesus. 69 other people who claim no no religious anything, and there's me, brand new Christian, and all I know is that God has sent me into this little this little building, Casa Werner's, it's called, and I didn't know. I just I was like, well, I just I have a small group because that's what we do, right? You know, we didn't have DTC, so I didn't go through any training. My campus pastor took a yellow like a yellow pad, wrote one page. Two thirds of it was how do you lead a small group, and then the last third, I kid you not, pray, 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 pray. That was my discipleship training. That was it. So I go in one of the one of the one of the hall meetings, and I tell everybody, and I was like, hey guys, I'm going to do a small group. Anyone interested in studying the Bible? And we wrapped it up, and I walked out, and a young woman named Julie comes pounding after me. She says, Stephanie. I want to go to your Bible study. She's like, I'm a really strong believer. I don't know if I'm Mormon or Catholic or what, but I'm a really strong believer, right? And she didn't even, I was like, well, then this will be perfect for you. And I, I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, but I will say this. Uh, October of that year, um, I, let me say this. I had told the Lord I would do whatever he wanted me to do in there, and I was like, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Lord nudged me one day and said, invite Julie to church. Um, it, I was terrified, terrified. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not super bold by, um, kind of by, yeah, I'm not super bold by, by my, you know, yeah. It, it takes me a bit to get a microphone in my hand because I, I was in public speaking class for one day and I dropped out and said, I'll never speak in public. Okay. I, I did say that. True story. But I go and I knock on the door of Julie's uh, room and I say something like, you want to go to church? You know, because I couldn't get the words out. And she said, yeah, I'll go. I'm like, really? <laughs> expect that. Take her to church the next day. She gives her life beautifully to Jesus. I mean beautifully. Beautifully to Jesus. That summer, Julie went home, led her dad to Jesus. Years later, she got married and is raising her children to know Jesus. Three generations of one family know Jesus now because of what God did in that little building. Three generations know Jesus. That doesn't count all the others. I wish I had time to tell you. But here's, here's, here's the thing. God said, I will bless you to be a blessing. I, all I knew was that one year. That was the year I was trying to wrestle through. And ultimately, God called me to work with Kai Alpha. But he had only given me direction for one year. I said, God, you can have my heart. You can have my feet. <laughs> I, quite literally, my feet. I used to walk the halls and pray every night. Every night, right before I'd go to bed, I'd walk the halls. I'd try not to be weird about it, but I'd walk the halls and pray. And, and three generations of one family met Jesus. Here's the, here's the deal. God can do immeasurably more than we can imagine. Friends, when we die to our own plans for our future, our priorities begin to align with God's priorities. 
whatever that looks like. And, and that's the thing is he knows what he's made you for. I planned on law, ended up going into ministry. I have a dear friend who was raised in a pastor's kid. She always thought she'd be a youth pastor. God called her into law. We were really good friends. It was like, whoa, what happened that happen? You know? God felt, she felt like God called her into law, and she went on to law school. She is currently a judge in Minnesota. God knows how he made you. He knows what he made you for. When we die to our own plans, our priorities align with God's priorities. God does turn, as we sing, our weakness into purpose. For me, it was, i got to make more money than Dad. That was my weakness. God turned my life into something of purpose. So what does it mean? How do we know that we can die to ourselves, die, die to our futures? I will say this. We become like what we behold. Okay? And I'm going somewhere with this. We become like what we behold. I want to I want to be like Jesus, so I must behold Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I must I want to give my attention to Jesus so I can become like him. He lived this out every day, but we really do see it on the cross, don't we? I think it's interesting too. A week from tomorrow, uh, we'll recognize uh, Jesus' death on the cross, Good Friday. The day that Jesus showed us what it looks like to trust the Father with the future. Here's the thing, friends. The cross recalibrates our direction. I look at the cross. I can't help but think, God, I want to go wherever you are. If you love me that much. If I'm going this way, I see the cross. Okay, I'm going this way now. The cross recalibrates our direction. Because of the cross, the direction of my heart can be toward Christ. The cross gives us purpose. Because of the cross, I do not have to live a selfish life. My life has eternal purpose. Not just purpose for now, eternal purpose. The cross helps us be faithful. Because of the cross, I can trust him in every season, whether I am blooming and blossoming and beautiful, or whether I feel like a seed buried in the dirt. The cross helps me be faithful. The cross frees us from attachments that we initially hold but could potentially hold us. Because of the cross, I can be free to lift my hands and surrender. I'm not in bondage to those things that hold me. My hands are open to God. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to offer ourselves in that way. This may be a time of wrestling for some of you. I wrestled for a bit. When I, when I said I felt like the Lord nudged me to give up law school, it wasn't in a moment necessarily. It was a, it was a season in a moment. There was an eventual decision, and that, the moment was that there. But I used to literally come home at, uh, after campus. I lived in a little apartment, had a balcony on the second floor. I had a hammock on my balcony. I would literally go hang out with Jesus, hang in my, in my, my uh, and, and, and I would say well, day after day after day, Jesus, what do you want to do with my life? So it was a process and it was a moment. So I know that some of you may be struggling or wrestling or you may say, you know what? I feel like I'm going this way and I feel like God's in it, but I just want to make sure I'm checking in with God. God, is this what you have for me? Some of you may be feeling like, I don't really know at all. I just like have an idea. Just some idea would be nice. Hold your hands before God. Some some too, I, I felt like this, felt like the Lord nudged me before. Sometimes the expectations of others can be sometimes a heavy burden. 
my parents expect this of me. Sometimes those are, are legitimate in the sense of even culturally, sometimes that's, a, that's something to, to be considered. I think those are those things too we hold before God. Say, God, if this is where I'm going in my life, I need, I need to hear from you so that I'm not doing it for something other than the love of God. I can love others well when I know you're letting me be blessed to be a blessing. Does that make sense? So let me invite the worship team to come back up here. We're just going to take a moment. I'm going to invite everybody in a moment as the worship team plays. I've asked them to uh, lead us in a song just kind of quietly at the beginning. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to, um, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can do whatever. If you want to pray with someone, that's great too. But there's just something about a physical act that comes with surrender to me. You know what I'm saying? Old Western movies or old whatever movies, you know, people put up their hands up to surrender. I think there's got to be something in there where we say to God, God, I surrender. God, you can have. You can have my life. God, I don't know where you're taking my life. You may not tell me tonight. That's okay. But just so you know, God, my hands are open. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to stand if you like. If you want to stay seated, that's fine. But maybe go ahead and stand unless you really want to stay seated just to kind of get the blood flowing again. Been sitting there for a bit. Friends, we stand before the cross knowing that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we have a future, an eternity in the presence of God. And let me say this, eternity does not begin when our last breath ends. Now, today, my future with Jesus is sure. And I want him to be able to say, yeah, yeah. I have her heart, I have his heart, and I planted their feet. So God, that's our desire today. God, have our hearts, we lift our hands. God, my hands are open tonight. Um, I don't want to hold on to anything. I don't want to miss the opportunity to offer myself in surrender by clenching something. God, what I have for my future, if, if it can't be entrusted to you, then do I even really want it? Here tonight. So friends, just as you interact with the Lord, as you interact with God's Spirit, offer yourselves. Lift your hands. At some point, you just feel like, I can lift my hands and surrender to God. If you feel like that's a struggle, Ask God to, to show you what's going on in your heart. God, I feel like I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm not sure I do trust you. God, I'm not sure I know. God, I'm not sure you really do want the best for me. I'd be honest with God about that and let him, let the Holy Spirit just come in and bring life, bring correction, bring hope, bring trust. are yours.